Do we see different phenomena? Do we see them differently when we see them from the global south rather than from the global north? About this and many other important topics is this conversation with Luis Enrique Santana in this new episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Wojcowski. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamad bin Khalif Al Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Facundo Suenzo, a doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx and Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Estas son nuestras historias. Esas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. It is my pleasure to have with us today Luis Enrique Santana, who is an assistant professor at the School of Communication and Journalism and also the director of the Fostering Digital Citizenship Program, both at Universidad Adolfo Ibáñez in Santiago de Chile. He is also a research associate at the GOB Lab at the same institution. He holds a PhD in communication and a master's of public administration, both from the University of Washington at Seattle. Previously, he pursued a degree in psychology and a diploma in organizational psychology from Universidad de Santiago de Chile. His research has used mixed and digital methods for inquiring about digital collective action, crowdsourcing for policymaking bots, and currently he is focused on the sociability aspects and norms of digital citizenship. Luis Enrique, welcome to El Café Latinx. Yeah, thank you, Paulo, for having me here. It is a great pleasure, my friend. So to get us started, tell us, how did it all begin? That is, what was the start of the journey that led you to become a professor? Um, uh, this is an interesting question because I still, I don't feel myself like with the hat of a professor. So I feel more like a professor when I am in front of the student, like a teacher. Uh, but this idea of the faculty is, is kind of still far from me seeing myself in that position. So I am a practitioner. I feel myself like a practitioner. So I started working like a volunteer for Greenpeace in Chile. So I worked for Greenpeace for 15 years. Uh, so I always saw myself working in projects of civic engagement and advocacy and with youth. I worked for a while for the uh, Greenpeace International Youth Support Center. Uh, and because of my experience in Greenpeace, and because I got my degree, I, I, I was an organizational psychology. I got a job in a social and humanitarian organization in Chile, a, a very big one. 
And in that place, someone came to convince the young professionals to apply for a scholarship, for the Fulbright scholarship. And I applied and I, and I got to Seattle, but no, it, was, it wasn't that planned. Uh, that is how it started. Very interesting. And, and, and what persuaded you to stay after the MPA and do your PhD? Oh, I, I mean, this could be interesting for people that is beginning the journey in the programs. So I didn't start it in communication. I did start in public policy. So I started and, and the public policy PhD program, you could in between get this master degree, uh, the master in public administration, you, you can get some credits and, and got that degree. And while I was studying my first year PhD in public policy with a lot of statistic econometrics and this area of study, uh, the Arabian Spring started to happen and all this explosion of social media started to happen. I think, and I thought that was much more interesting to be working on. And I moved after I applied to five different programs while I was in my first years in the public policy, I applied to programs in communication uh, to start the third year, I would say. So I did my two years in public policy and I moved to communication field. Interesting, I had, didn't have picked that up. So, so it was the Arab Spring what essentially was the factor that yeah. made you pivot. The the the, the color the YouTube revolutions and all this green revolution, all this democratization spirit of the new media that moved me to say it's much more interesting. Absolutely. And, and what was it about the field of communication that appealed to you that you didn't find in public policy? Uh I was working in uh, NGO networks and collaboration between the private sector and public sector. That was why I got the scholarship, the Fulbright scholarship. It, it was that my, my initial idea. Uh, while I was in the, I wasn't very happy in, in with this, all this mathematics. Uh, someone recommended me Dr. Kristen Food from the School of Communication in Seattle. They said, you should talk with her because she's doing networks but more the network, the kind of network that you are interested in, not the networks like contracts within government and private. And I went to see Dr. Foot, and yeah, and I, and I got fascinated by the field. I didn't know much about the field of communication, especially coming from psychology, a very social scientist formation in, in Santiago in Chile. And that is far from what journalism was by then. So I, I didn't know about the field. That was, I, I would say there wasn't a very good branding of the of the field into in the 2005, I would think. So it was this conversation with Dr. Kirsten Foot that convinced me about to put an eye in communication. And, and how was the PhD journey for you once you moved into communication? Uh, I, I when I moved to first of all the it's supposed you shouldn't change, especially when you have a scholarship. Uh, so I was doing everything, like trying to ask him the one, one sponsor if I could, if I could move, what would happen? What many, what if I gonna they are gonna take my, my scholarship away? Uh, it's not, but I was 
I have already decided this is not where I want to. I could I could spend like ten years in the PhD in public policy trying to finish something that I didn't feel that uh, passionate about. So I had already decided to move. So uh, when it started, everything was fascinating. You know, it was this all this uh, new new discipline that I was discovering that connected many social sciences. We have some from sociology, especially the method sections. Uh, we, we, in, in the University of Washington, we had our method section in with social, sociology and social work. So it was very focused on the field, how we learn to do methods, research method. And uh, the, the, all these uh, communication technology and society. It, it, well, my 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 department by then is still it is, but by then it was uh, Phil Howard, um, Gene Neff, uh, Dr. Kirsten Food. So it was a very good place to be. Lance Bennett, Patricia Moy. So big names, and so that I didn't know them. So when he arrived there, I didn't know who they were. So it was very kind of, uh, you know, in a horizontal way to behave with them. So they probably they assumed that it was cultural, that it was very informal in the way that we communicate, but that also opened doors for the, the, the kind of relationship that we have after. They, they were very close to me all the time. Cool. And the personal experience in terms of being a student from Chile in Seattle, um the state of washington you know the northwest of the us how was that side you know how, how did that affect your or not your um experience in the program uh i could say that it, when i started public policy it was more difficult because my english wasn't that good i mean it was good enough for passing the uh GRE and on and, and the tests, but it's not the same time to be living in a place and to be reading as much as we were reading and are discussing in academical terms. So when, after a few years, when I started in communication, uh, my life was much more easier. So I, what has happened with the Northwest? People is all the time complaining that they are lonely, it's dark, there is not, that is the Northwest. Yeah. Um, they are complaining about the loneliness, but they don't do anything about changing that situation. So I realized after just six months there, when my English was good enough to uh, organize things, I was the center of my group, organizing the going out, organizing the birthday parties. So I, 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 I was single by then, and, and it was in. So I had the time, and I changed that situation. I had a lot of friends that they were in the same situation. Uh, Seattle had many uh, people from other parts of the country as well, no, from all over the world because of Microsoft, Amazon, Boeing. Uh, that, uh, so it was easier to connect with other internationals. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I made my room. It wasn't there before. Interesting. And um, you, know, you are in the doctoral program. Um, gradually, you start focusing on a particular topic. How did you choose a dissertation topic? Oh, uh, I knew I 
I still had in my in my mind that I wanted to work in something hard like collective action, but for digital media and collective action. So try, trying to, uh, especially because of the, my 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 public policy uh, first years. So uh, I started to work in this with with Dr. Philip Howard in the global data set of digital activism group so we started to collect like thousands of digital activism initiatives in the world around the world so we have this data set at the end i say okay this is i i need to look what i am interested in in this data set that i helped to go to build and and it's, it's well like a piggy bank is that is the term mm -hmm. yeah we have this piggy bank so i said I could test my ideas in this data set. And it was pretty efficient because I had other classmates that they had to, they started to do their own data collection. And I already started with in my in my third or fourth year with the data already collected, but and I participated in the, in the data collection before. So that was very good, very efficient. And did you have to go back to Chile? Did you want to go back to Chile? Did you consider, uh, you know, going to other places? Of uh, you know, after graduation. After graduation, I when I finished the PhD and I, when I projected the PhD, uh, the, the finish of my PhD, I I I could uh, I could see that if I stayed in the state. I would I could stay for other more I think it was like three or four more years before having to become uh, for and stay two years in Chile uh, or two years abroad before going. So I realized if I take that top that time, I would spend eleven years abroad. So eleven years is a lot of time. So my friends wouldn't change their paths. My family, I would have uh, would stay away for eleven years. So I decided I'm going back right away. I'm gonna stay the few years that it's supposed I should be in Chile, and if I want to come back, I come back. And I still I don't want to go back to the state, especially <laughs> after that. Trump came. And now the, the pandemic, so it's, it's, it was easier to be close to the family. There is a, a, a community of scholars in communication in Chile that is also we are building. And uh, I feel that is also important. And seeing the field from, from the south also give another idea of, of what, what we can do. Not everything can be seen from the north. <laughs> Let's stay on that one. That's very interesting. What do you see from the South that you, that you see differently from what you would see if you were to see from the North? I think when you are in North, the, that, the, it's, it's so much specialized, the specified the research topic of academics that they sometimes they miss the big picture. They miss that they are larger variables or contextual variables that affect your field your 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 specific topic when you are here for example and in, in my we uh, in my department there it's not that they speak about everything but 
many times they call me from to to I, I do digital activists, digital citizenship. So they call me from schools, from the press, to try to orient the norms and what is happening from cyberbullying to disinformation. So you you cannot keep connected all the pieces. Uh, because there is no one else to ask, right? I mean, it's no, no, no one else. It's like there are no many people to ask about this issue. So when you are in NOR, you are in your uh, your quadrant, your specific field, and and sometimes it's difficult to to engage. Uh, it's, it's it's like a lab, I think. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's like I I sometimes I feel jealous of my. Uh, my uh, colleagues that they graduated at the same time to me and they are very productive in the publication and because they have a line and they follow the line the line the line and they are writing about the same topic all the time and they say and here's not possible because they, they are I, I i working in five different areas because there no one else is working in those areas and someone has to give those classes someone has to speak about that to the press in the, the different departments and each, each of the the faculty here do the same. Some are more oriented in in in, in um, public opinion, other influencers. I am more in the public issue, but it's it's one. <laughs> That's interesting. So so let's let's build on that and go back to the other um, comment that you made in passing about you know building the field in Chile. Could you characterize sort of in your own view the evolution of the study of communication in Chile as a field um, where do you think it is now and you know where do you think it might go uh, we uh, I could say the, the communication field before the, the this cohort I could say that the the cohort that started with uh, Professor Sebastián Valenzuela, the, this core of, of professors that are a little older than I am, <laughs> but they kind of they were very generous in in the way that they opened what they were doing in the state or whatever they studied, um, brought it to Chile and doing field work in Chile and publishing internationally. So that gave gave the other the encouragement to follow that path. Uh, and they are still very generous in, in creating projects to involve younger scholars in the project that they are. That is a way to create. But still, we have that, that area, but I mean, that path is was running parallel to the traditional communication scholar here that were more critical theory oriented. And there were there were no much, I mean, I don't know how to explain in English, but they were suspicious of each other. You know, so it's, it's still, I know that in the States also it's happened sometimes, but it, it, it happened more here because also we were writing in English. We studied in the state on Europe. We are not the Latin American tradition. We are no critical study. We are not from, uh, uh, I don't know, pa uh, Paulo Freire. Uh, uh, we, we we did we didn't write about that when we speak uh, we write over papers we are forced to write in scopus was so there was a lot of suspicious and I think that when I say we are building the field here 
we are making bridge now. We are in the part of making bridge between the two groups. And I think it's working. I think it's, we had a very large conference last week and you could see the social scientists and the critical traditional Latin America critical studies people, and they were talking. <laughs> That's very good. When you say large, could you tell the audience, because Chile is a country of less than 20 million people. Um, and so last week you had the first in-person uh, conference of the field since the pandemic. How many people were present? Uh, we had, the, there were three days, we had between 120 and 140 people, I could say, different people, probably 160, but uh, between 120, 140 each day. Uh, it was in Viña del Mar, it's, it's now in Santiago, in the capital, and we had professors that came from most of the, uh, from, from, all, from all along the country. Uh, yeah, it was very interesting. And I mean, good, good research. It was good research, even in the, uh, I'm going to say even, I say especially in doctoral students, uh, that they are, you could see their research are the same one that are being carried out in other parts of the world. Interesting. And what are the main topics? Because you talked about sort of this uh, dynamic between sort of more traditional critical discursive approaches of Latin American media scholarship of the 70s and 80s, and the more sort of social sciences slash behavioral science mm -hmm. approaches of the 1990s onwards of those in particular who went overseas for PhDs and returned. So, but that's on, on, on the perspective. So what are the kinds of topics or the subfields that capture the imagination of uh, Chilean communication scholars? I'm trying to see whether is it the same as what happens in other countries in the global north? Is it different? Not only how we see things, but what kinds of things we want to see, right? What phenomena or areas we want to study? Uh, we, I could say that there is a important group that is working in disinformation issues. The disinformation is something that uh, is taking attention from scholars, I would say, in, the, in all the big schools or universities over here. Uh, not that many, but they are, I would say that we are taking our spot that fit with uh, international agenda of uh, communication scholar in, in different areas. For example, uh, we have our colleague Arturo Arriagada, he's working in the digital economy, digital geek economy and the future of work. So from the communication field. So it's, it's, it's super interesting. He started with influencer, but now it's with the Uber, Rappi and all the platform working for platforms. and. Uh, uh, the other colleague, uh, Carmina, she's working communication with non-human entities, uh, robots and bots, and how people interact with those. Um, we have uh, Isabel, Teresa Correa, that they are working on the uh, digital divide and the type of use of uh, digital technologies uh, yeah, these are the kind of issues. I, and I'm working in, in how the new generations interact with the new technology, with the current technologies or current technology environment, especially in identity formation and how the social, sociabilize, uh, socialize 
with these uh, technologies. And yeah, those are the kind of issues that I'm working. We are working. Very interesting. And then I remember previous guests also working in Latin America commented on the different balance they see between in their experience teaching and research and what they hear from colleagues in the US or in Europe um, in terms of their own balance and what is you know, the relative importance assigned to that. So in your you know, typical routine and in, in, in how the, the, the job of a communication professor at Universidad of Urbanias is uh, thought about, what's, what's the balance, what's the proportion of time devoted to teaching and research, and what's the balance between the two in terms of how you are evaluated, for instance? Mm. Oh, it, it depends. It, it depends when you, it depends, of course, it, the same than in the US, it depends on the kind of contract that you negotiate at the beginning, but I would say normally you have you start with 60 teaching, 60% teaching, 40% research. It depends of your performance in the following years. Um, uh, and it, you, it's gonna change that, uh, that amount for one side or to another. Because I started my own project, I started saying that I see myself like a practitioner. So I started my project of fostering digital citizenship. Now I am a third, a third, and a third. I mean, a third teaching, third research, and third in charge of this outreach program that is, is growing a lot. We are doing networking with other uh, universities, with the government, with private companies. Uh, so that I, in, in, in my contract, it's kind of a third, a third, a third, but I could say that I'm spending a lot of time on my, on my project. Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead. You know, if you want to research, I, I think you, it's, universities here are uh, still, they are getting into this track of racing to each other and competing. Uh, so we need, you are encouraged to publish. You are encouraged to publish. So if you are publishing, you come to the university, to any of the big universities here with a good track of publishing, and you want to continue with that, it's probably your, your you are not going to teach more than two courses by semester. That is the, yeah, two courses by semester. Okay. And, and so when you interact um, in, you know, international professional circles, etc. What what do you see as, um, or would you read the literature for that matter and contribute to it? Um, what do you see as the place of Latin America in the broader global conversations in the field? Um, is the it's difficult to see a voice. I, I think you. I, I don't think there is a Latin American voice in the in the, in the field. I think that they are good Latin American scholars that are like yourself, like are in the field. Like, uh, but I don't think it's it's, it's a Latin American voice. Is is more Latin American scholars that are in the. Uh, 
in the forefront of the discipline. Yeah, I, I yeah, that is, uh, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't see it, maybe it is, maybe when, well, uh, maybe if we see yourself when we go to ICA or NCA or other, we get together, we, we, we do that. We hang out together, we know, and we, we exchange. Probably there is something that the, the, the other, maybe the other see us like a group more than we see us, so that's cool. Okay. And you know, one of the typical ways in which the academy in Latin America or in other parts of the world is different from the academy in the US in particular, but also in Europe, is that there is much less of a separation between the worlds of the academy on the one side and on the other side, say politics, public policy, um, the work of nonprofits, even the work in, of the corporate sector. Um, in your own work, coming uh, to the academy after a career as a practitioner in NGOs, etc., um, what kind of receptivity have you found in Chile, right, for the work of you know professors for for scholarship? What kind of integration or lack of integration, in your opinion, exists between? the world outside of the academy and the world of the academy. That is, does Chile have an ivory tower too? Mm, I don't, no, I don't. I mean, at, at least in our field, no. I don't think in social sciences, sciences we have it. I mean, most of the people have a foot in, 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 in the government and the academia, in the private sector and the academia, they are cons consultant. And it's, it's difficult to keep you, to be just in academia, uh, at least in social science. I think the big, and in general, there are other fields that are very well developed, like astronomy or, yeah. <laughs> so those, yes, they can work on that and they don't leave their labs forever and they don't need to. Uh, but we normally are more connected with like an octopus, normal uh, to, to, to different places. Um, the ivory tower is diff we are Twitter and social media in general make very difficult that you can uh, you can have this ivory tower. The, you can isolate yourself from what the, the the what is happening outside. Also, this last year, last in Chile, since two thousand nineteen, it hasn't been normal. Yeah, like in the 2020, 2021 was this in, in the rest of the world as well. But we started in nineteen uh, with uh, this social uprising that we had. So we haven't stopped. We still don't have a normal way of life. Uh, we still are in the yeah, I don't know, emergency um, senses put on. Cool. And, and then do you think the fact that there is much less of a divide between the world of academia and the world outside of academia, that using your own formulation, people have one foot in one, one foot in the other, is that somewhat connected to um, the fact that in the global south, we tend to miss the big picture less? We might specialize less, but also we do have a broader view of what we study and why it matters. I could agree. I agree. I, I agree with the statement. I think we 
because we are uh, in different, seeing different, I, we have the, seen this scenario from different uh, points of view all the time, force you to consider other people's uh, views about that issue. If you are more like in a lab and you are looking with your survey all the time, the same survey, the same survey, the same survey, and uh, every every year you are looking just your own data, I think you, you miss a little bit the big picture. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, how do you choose your own topics? That is, I mean, we know in part is the influence of the context, broader view, more cosmopolitan agenda in general, but all cosmopolitan agendas are different. Yours is different from Arturo's, from Sebastian's, from Teresa's, from Ingrid's, from Magdalena's, just talking about some of the locals from Claudia's. Um, what drives your interest? intellectually. Mm. Uh, I still, what well, is my main, my, since I, uh, oh, sorry, since I was 15 years old, I started like volunteering in Greenpeace, uh, working in uh, environmental education with children and youth. And if I see my trajectory, I have always feel that area and I'm still working with children and youth I am part of the I, I don't know how to say in English but it's the 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 state the the national I'm a consular of the national uh East agency for children rights uh and so because of I am in the fostering digital citizenship program, because I am interested in, 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 uh, in generating positive experiences for children and uh, youngsters in, in the digital environment, I am part of that. So I have kept, I think it, it is my, the, the main uh, track of my, my interest. I think that is a... Yeah. And the others is that like everyone else, and you know, like when there are some funding in some places, you have to move your research to a little bit over there or into this other side. Okay. Now, building on your interest in, in children and youth, with all your experience and your trajectory so far, what would you advise? a very, very young Kike Santana, uh, do's and don'ts if you want to pursue a career in the academy, in particular in the field of communication. Uh, don't get distracted by the other, <laughs> the allies, just follow what you are doing, you know, like the don't get distracted, you don't don't get excited for the other thing because every time that I took like a, a round about what I came back to the same place. And if I could have followed the same line, I could be much further. <laughs> Instead, I have much information, I know more, I am more mature to face uh, the, the topic, but it could be much further for sure. Yes. Uh, much publication, I, I have my, my name would be more related with what uh, I always was interested in. Yeah, I mean, it's so don't get distracted then. Don't get distracted. Yeah. Okay, 
very interesting. So, so and then in closing, um, if you have magical powers, you can and, and could be granted one wish about how you'd like the field of communication and media studies to change. Um, what would you wish for? Sometimes I feel that the the field of communication doesn't have much identity. Uh, like there's no identity in the discipline, like psychologists psychologists have, or sociologists understand, or social workers, and other social. For sure, the the basic sciences they have it more than identity. But I think communication it doesn't have it. I don't know if, it, if this is a good thing because uh, it helps us to move around different topics and try to use different tools for explaining phenomena, social phenomena, and communicational phenomena in different uh, in different levels. This is good. So if I could have magical power, I say I could say we should realize that the, we had identity and that identity should be the well-being of people as individual and group. And that is the reason why we are doing studying communication and doing communication uh, um, research and teaching communication is because we want to improve the well-being of people. Uh, something like that. Say. Very good, very interesting and very important. So. Kike, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. Thank you to the audience for staying with us through the end. And I invite everybody to join us for the next episode of Café Latinx. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pablo. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I'm Pablo Wojcicki, the host, and I'm joined by executive producer Facundo Swenson.